Now, let me get more than a story. It's out of Mark's uh, Gospel, the eighth chapter. I want you to stay with me, and if you're taking notes, you're, you're going to have to speed take the notes. If you have your phone, you might want to take an opportunity to take a picture of a point that might come up. You hear people often say, I just don't see how we're going to make it. I just don't see how I'm, I can't take any more COVID. I just don't see how we're going to see our way through. Do you ever anybody say that? I just don't think that financially, I think we're crashing. I just don't see. And you know what? When that, when that statement is made, here's what it means. Hopelessness. I'm going to cash in on hopelessness because I don't see any way out above or below. I, it's hopelessness for me. And you know what? That's not what God's will is for a believer, for a follower of Jesus Christ. And our view of things needs to be the viewpoint of Almighty God. But so often we have a perspective that is dismal, that is discouraging. We have a perspective, I can't take it anymore. We have a, a perspective from time to time that says failure is all I'm ever going to be exposed to. We have a perspective often that I've failed so many times there'll never be any more favors from God that will come my way. And I'm telling you, that is hopelessness. And why is that viewpoint, listen carefully now, why is that viewpoint important for you to see what God sees? Here it is in Matthew's Gospel, 6 verse 9 number 22. Here it is. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Who is the light of the world? Somebody say it out. Jesus is the light of the world. He says, if your body is full of darkness, not full of light, he said, you're going to be blind. But when Jesus comes into your life and you place your hope on him and your trust in him, he says, you will have light. Now, we know what God's perspective is. If God's perspective is what I'm after, not mine, I want to view things not in the natural. I want to view things in the supernatural. There are things that I don't understand. But when I view things in the supernatural, I learn to trust God with it. And when I view things in the supernatural and I let the light of God in my mind, in my spirit, here's what happens. You see, that's wisdom. I then have the wisdom of God. And he says, if you desire wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. Now, Jesus had, uh, he had some guys that he called his disciples. They're individuals found in Mark, the eighth chapter, and Jesus observes a misunderstanding. And he doesn't understand how they think. As a matter of fact, he says even to the fact that you guys are a little bit dull. Now, Jesus is in his third year of ministry, as we find this text, and he's popular. There are a lot of people that follow him. What are they all after? We want a miracle. We want a blessing. We want to see him heal again. There are two major miracles, of course, that took place. Number one, big miracles. One, of course, he, he raised the dead. Nobody could stay dead in the presence of Jesus. Have you noticed that? Every time he arrived, they rose from the dead. It's amazing. But there were 5,000 people that were fed. And then there were 4,000 people. Those were big deal miracles, that many people being fed, 5,000 and 4,000. Now, two distinct miracles. Now, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are individuals that they were religious uh, 
derelicts. They were, they were dot your I, cross your D. You can't do that miracle. It is against the old law. Don't do that. Don't speak that kind of language. And so the, the disciples were divided many times be, because they're learning to look through the perspective of Jesus and yet they know that they have been immersed as children, as young people, and as adults until Jesus came in the Pharisaical law. And so they're trying to say, how, how do we make ends meet? How do we go from looking just natural, and how do we go into the supernatural and say, wow, I don't know how that happened. I just know that it happened. Now, here's what Jesus, Jesus didn't waste any time with the Pharisees. He said, you boys, you boys are, are brain dead scripturally, spiritually, and I'm not going to bother you. I'm going to keep doing what I've always done, and that's do the will of the Father. So now we've got a little text in Mark 8, verse number 13, and moving forward. Then Jesus got into the boat, and they crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, that'll be interesting in a moment. Now, the disciples discussed why Jesus had said this, and they decided it was because they hadn't brought bread with them. Jesus knew. You guys missed the point completely. The disciples were asking, why should we worry about yeast? When we didn't bring any bread, Jesus said, I hear y'all thinking. I know your understanding. And so I'm going to answer what you're thinking that you think I don't know. How many of you know God knows your hidden thoughts? Yeah, come on now. He said, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, guys, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? Do you still not understand are your minds still closed? He couldn't believe it. Remember, I'm in the boat with you. I'm the one, do you remember, that took the fish and multiplied it and fed 5,000? And do you remember that I took the bread and I took the fish and fed 4,000? And do you guys remember how many basketfuls were left over after I fed the 5,000 and you said... And you said, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay, my oh my, what a wonderful day, tick-tock, 12. How many was left over the 4,000? Seven, thank you. Good try back there for 12, but a little too many. But it was seven. Now, what does Jesus say? There's abundance in everything that I do. If you want to get a winner, get somebody who always has money left over. How do you like that? Has supply, ample supply left over. He said, you missed it. He said, Here, here's the deal. You know a lot, but you don't know much as it relates to the supernatural. You know, there's some people that can quote Scripture. Some people can, can, can tell you what's right and tell you what's wrong. They have answers to all their questions. They're smart enough never to ask a question they don't already have an answer to. And then the Pharisees, you know who they are. They all memorize the Pentateuch. 
I know you know what the Pentateuch is. Here it is. It's the first five books of the Bible. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Well, they, they could memorize it. They could memorize And you know what Jesus would say? They have all that in their memory, but they don't have any spiritual eyesight. They don't, it has not dawned on them what that word that they memorized means. You see, you don't know the Scripture, he said, and you don't get the point. Now, write this down in your heart of hearts. Every miracle has a message with it. Every time something happens in your life, you don't understand every miracle. Listen carefully. God has a message in it. Now, I know some people that get carried away trying to figure out if the message is not automatically viable to them and achievable or understandable. They spend a lot of time trying to say, what's the message? What's the message? Here's the deal. The more you grow in God, the more mature you get, the more faithful you become, the easier the message will be for you to be able to get hold of. But here it is, every message and every miracle. So when God does something you don't understand, says, there's something there, God. I, I know you want me to see that you want me to learn. And then you say, God, help me. Help me with my understanding. But here's what you don't want to do. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to spend time agonizing over trying to get what the message is. But what you do is you just keep worshiping God and say, in due time, God, sooner or later, you'll give me the answer. Do you remember the time I've talked to you about, I want to ask you to raise your hand, that I, when, I was, when I was 18 and God said, stop my car in the middle of nowhere and run around it, you know, 10, you remember that? 10 times run around it. It was, it was late in the middle of the night, moon was out on a road on Lake McLeod, and God said, get out of your car and run around it, run around it 10 times. And I put the car in park, looked for traffic coming, nobody out there that late in that road. And I ran around, and just ran around it, or I run around it, whichever. Y'all listening? I'm going to keep you on your toes today. <coughs> I went to get back in the car. And the Lord said, do it again. I said, you know what, God, I have a little bit of pride. He said, I know. <laughs> I made it this time, and nobody came. You want me to do it again? I do. Faster than greased lightning. I went around that car, jumped in. I thought, why? What's that about? Went along. I, I went full-time in the ministry or part-time in the ministry, working part-time. And, and always in the back of my mind, that bugged me. Why did I have to do that? I was glad I did. But why did I have to do that? What, what's up with that? And numerous times over the next several years, as a matter of fact, probably over, over the next 11 years. Sometimes it would come up, or I'd go by that same spot. I think I ought to put a cross there, you know, where I ran around the car. <laughs> Not until 11 or 12 years. Our first grandbaby, Taylor, she was about two, came down with coli bacteria. Dr. Red said she probably won't make it through the night. Rushed her to, I guess, All Children's Hospital, Tampa General. Won't make it through the night. Kidneys are already shut down. First grandbaby. It was after church on Sunday night. 
I went down into the chapel and uh, began to pray. I said, God, this is not right. This is not right. It's our first grandbaby, and she really does love me. You know what? In that chapel, God spoke to me and said, do you remember however many years it was? Do you remember that you ran around that car twice? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, because of your faithfulness and because of your obedience, you passed the test. He said it to me in that chapel in the dark. I'm going to heal your grandbaby tonight. Hallelujah. Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The next morning, early in the morning, all the doctors got together, and they came out and said, this little girl's grandfather must have been praying last night because about 2 o'clock in the morning, all of her vitals began to change and the kidneys cranked up. We're not even going to have to do dialysis on her. It's, go- it's a miracle of God. I'm here to tell you that is the God that we serve. If you don't shout, I'll preach longer, my friend. That's the power of God that we serve. And it was unbelievable, and I did not understand it, but I didn't let it plague my life. Now, here's what I know. Blindness, spiritual blindness, is a metaphor for a closed mind. It's a closed mind. Spiritual blindness, if you're spiritually blind, you'll have a closed mind to spiritual things. Some people in our culture today have a closed mind about going to church, closed mind about devotion, closed mind about tithing, closed mind about being consistent in church, a closed mind about praise and worship, a a closed mind about certain, a closed mind of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? There's a certain area of spiritual blindness. You know what God said? I want to come in and I want to give you the light so that you understand everything that there is about who I am. He said, you blind leaders, you blind Pharisees, you blind disciples, you do not know what you're talking about. When the light comes in, you will understand. Now, what keeps me from having clear vision? What keeps me from having a faith that is an action faith? I was a teenager, and running around that car was the dumbest thing that I had ever done I did a lot of things, but to do that, I thought, hey, here we go. Number one, here it is, pride, P-R-I-D-E. Say it out loud, pride, pride. When I'm prideful, I can't see what God's doing in my life or what God wants to do. When I'm so full of pride, watch out. You remember what he said? You watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Man, what are you talking about? The yeast, why yeast? We, we didn't bring any bread. That must be the connection. You see, do you know what yeast does? If you put yeast in dough, it swells up. It puffs up. If you put too much yeast, it blows up. Hello? It blows up. It's like pride. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you're filled with pride, you blow things out of proportion. And all of a sudden, the smallest things 
become big things. But Proverbs 13.10, the first part says, only by pride comes conflict. Only by pride. You know why? He said, because the humble doesn't want to argue. The humble doesn't care who wins. The humble doesn't want to fight. The humble's just glad to be at the table. The humble's just glad to have a friend. The humble decides, I just, I just want to be near to be able to touch the hem of his garment. I don't have any reason to be here and to be blessed. It's all because of God's grace and God's mercy. Do you remember? I don't want to be like that man over there praying like he's praying in the temple. The guy said, but he said, pride, pride makes you think that you are deserving and it brings conflict on pride. There it is. Here's number two, often short-term thinking. Short-term thinking. You know what short-term thinking does? It says, when I'm thinking about my current comfort, rather than long-term character, that's short-term thinking. When I come to the realization, God, my life's up for grabs with you. You might put me in a rock and a hard place, but it's going to develop my character. I'm not asking you for a different jail cell. I'm not asking you not to have to walk the road that some have walked. What I'm asking you, Lord, develop. You see, when Jesus talks about this with the disciples, he's talking about life. They think he's talking about lunch. That short-term thinking, our culture right now, try this on for size, fact check. It. Our culture is spending our future heritage on our current comfort right now. The debt load of the average American for what more I want out of my life to the degree I will have debt that my kids will pay from now on and on and on and on. But you know what? Sacrifice brings blessing. May the church culture say, God, we're not looking for more that benefit us. We're looking for more opportunities to serve, more opportunities to be able to declare in the midst of our pain that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then thirdly, short-term memory. Short-term memory. You know some people, how many have short-term memory? There are some people who, who, who lose their keys all the time. They, they, don't know where, they don't know where it's at. Where are my keys at? I don't know. Where did you put them? I don't know. I know people that go to the mall. When the mall was up and at it quite a bit, they, they parked their car. They, they don't remember where they parked the car. And I know people here at the church. Security will say, Pastor, we're out here. We have brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and they've lost their car. Well, why? How did they lose their car? Well... They don't remember where they parked it. They don't. Now listen to me. I'm a little bit mischievous, but I am transparent. If I knew in this service you didn't, you didn't know where your car was, I'd get your keys and go move it so you would not find it <laughs> for about an hour. How many of you believe that might happen? Some of you are already right now, you have your key bought in your hand and you're just clicking to see if you can hear your car horn. Be sure it clicks. Here, here's the deal. I don't want you to miss this. I want to make it humorous. You know, he said, do you know who's in the boat, boys? 
Have you forgotten the 5,000? Have you forgotten the 4,000? Have you forgotten that there were 12 baskets and 7 baskets left over and now? And now we're facing a problem and you've forgotten about it. You know, have you forgotten all the times that I answered prayer? And it was just so convenient because I favor you and bless you so much you, you take it for granted. But it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy for to get, forget that I, I met your need when you were crying and weeping and having a challenge. And you thought, and you've forgotten that, your short-term memory. Well, how, how unbelievable. And the next time the problem comes. You're going to remember that? Let me tell you, I told you last week in this service, hey, send me some testimonies. If you've been blessed by God, little testimonies. Not, you don't have to send me big ones if you don't mind, but just send me some little ones. And, and a few of you responded. Send it to the, the address here at the church. I got one of those testimonies. I said, Pastor, I want you to know this came in Monday. I believe I'm getting this right just from memory. I have a great memory. And so, uh, it, you know, here it is. I had two invoices in our business and that virtually I'm paraphrasing now that we had given up. They were old invoices. They were dead invoices. We didn't think they were going to pay and, and, or anything else and uh, said just left it alone. We, we weren't bothering the people anymore about paying those two invoices. But he said, I want you to know I opened the mail this morning here in my office and, and two of those invoices that were dead in the water were paid in full. One company and another company paid them in full. Pastor, I got it this morning to and not only that, we got a contract for $30,000 of business that we're going to do. I just wanted to let you know, Pastor, what God did. You know what God will say? You, you keep staying excited about that. And you keep witnessing and testifying about that. If you're going to share it, I'll, I'll give you some more. But if you're going to tuck it under your little private rug for your house and no more because you think it's so insignificant, then I'm probably going to be few and far between. We need to testify more. Ephesians, Paul writes, Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. The eyes of your heart will be enlightened. In Mark 8.22, they came to Bethsaida. And some people bought a blind man. This is, this is the body of where we're going to be now. Bought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. Now, miracles happen when somebody cares. Miracles happen. Say that with me. Miracles happen when someone cares. Now, what I mean by that? It said this group of individuals, I don't know if it was two, three, or four. Why waste your time figuring that out? Just some people brought a blind man to Jesus. Why do you think they brought the blind man to Jesus? Because they cared. Come on now. They cared. They cared. Now, you know what we call they cared? Do you know what that is in culture today in the church? It's intercession. When I care about you, about a need, or something God lays on my heart, I intercede. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now at the right hand of the Father because he cares? Come on now. He's interceding for you and me every single day. 
He's interceding because he cares. Those people brought the blind man to Jesus because they cared and they are interceding. Did you know there's some people in this room right now, some of your family and your friends that we need to intercede for, that those issues may have taken place in their lives and we need to intercede and say, God, move in a mighty way. And I would encourage you Take time to think and say, God, who is it you're laying on my heart and my mind that I need to intercede for? God, that you would help them and take them through the process. Intercession is when you bring someone else's need before the Lord. And that's what I'm asking you to do. They brought the blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And then here it is. Miracles happen when we get close to Jesus. When we get close to Jesus, just what it says, obviously you can't be touched by Jesus unless you're close to Jesus. In this case, they brought the blind man close enough to Jesus that Jesus could touch him. Now, healing doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come because your tithe are paid up. It doesn't come because of a ritual or financial ability, a rule or a regulation or anything that the Pharisees might say that happens. Healing comes as a result of a relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ. Healing comes. You get close enough. What does it mean? You get close enough. You believe that Jesus can heal. And when you get real close... You believe that Jesus can heal, but if he doesn't heal, you believe he will in the future. You just know he's able. Amen? You just know he's able. You just know he's able. Why? Because I've got a long-term memory. I remember what he did before. I know my God is able. So here's what happens. They get him close. And we know that (coughs) Jesus went over to him because miracles happen when we trust Jesus to lead us. And I've got a scripture for that. Must have thought I'd get real bought half a gallon of water today. Like (coughs) crazy. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him. Y'all see that? Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him where? Stay with me now because we're going to learn from this blind man. And I know what time it is, y'all. So the blind man is here. Jesus walks over and takes the blind man's hand. Now, the blind man may have been standing or seated, doesn't matter, and Jesus takes and walks him outside the building to a little more private place. Why? Because Jesus is popular, and people are everywhere, and Jesus wanted this to be a private moment. He wanted to be a time for just the two of them. You see, he's close to Jesus. I was watching uh, Gaither. Sharon and I watched Gaither this morning. I don't a little after, uh, I don't know, 5.30 or so. 
And Ronnie Millsap was on the Gaither vocal deal. Ronnie Millsap. I may know who Ronnie Millsap. Yeah. He was on. Now, you know that Ronnie Millsap's blind, but he's a phenomenon. Great 50s singer. Matter of fact, I, I like him anytime. And he sang. What a difference you've made in my life. What a difference you made in my life. And he formed the words to talk about Jesus. What a difference. Do I hear an amen you've made in my life? Now, Jesus took the blind man. Now, let's talk about that old blind man for a moment. The, we don't know that he knew that it was Jesus that took him initially by the hand. It wasn't after the resurrection. He couldn't feel the nail prints. But when Jesus took his hand, the blind man walked with Jesus. He didn't say, wait a minute, my friends who brought me here, hey guys, don't leave me, don't forget me. He's taken me somewhere. Y'all come with me. He didn't say that. He walked with Jesus by faith. Jesus got outside, the blind man not knowing where he's going. And Jesus spat in his eyes. Yard talk is he spit in his eyes. Now, you don't have where the blind man went to swing in wildly at Jesus. It's not there. Scott is not there. If you were to spit on someone in the Scripture, it meant you were worse than a dog, dirtier than dirt. There's nowhere that it records that the blind man responded. You see, usually the simple process, if, if a blind person came and they, they got close enough to Jesus, Jesus would say, be healed, be healed, be healed. He didn't have to spit on them or anything, just be healed. But this case, he's given the disciples a lesson. And he said, well, I... I see, I think it's people, but it looks like trees moving around. And Jesus said, okay. In Mark 8, 25, Jesus put his hands on the man a second time. Then it says his eyes opened fully. His sight was restored completely. And he saw everything clearly, and Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back to town. What happened? What happened? The blind man did not resist Jesus. The blind man did not know where he was going, not even if it was G happened to be Jesus to begin with, but he went with Jesus. 
He stood there and did not rebel when he had spat or spit in his eye. He didn't curse or anything else. What are you doing? He stood there trembling because his eyesight began to come back. What, what's the lesson that Jesus is giving the disciples when the story is told? Watch the blind man. Watch how Jesus manages this. And it did not happen the first time. It happened a second time. Jesus is modeling. What is he saying? Sometimes miracles are not, not instantaneous. Sometimes miracles are incremental. Sometimes they're progressive. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we pray and there is no answer. But if we just simply do what we're supposed to do because we are in the presence of Jesus Christ, we know that he's up to good and not to harm in our lives. If we stay strong in the walk of Almighty God, you may have seasons in your life it does not make sense. You may have moments in your family when you cannot put a solution together. There may be times when you think you are forsaken. You might think that the mighty God of Abraham has turned his back. But I'm telling you nothing. I said nothing. Nothing ever happens or is allowed to happen in your life and in your family. But what God has something in store for your future to lift you up if you're careful to follow the will of God. If you just stay with him. The blind man stayed with him. What happened? It says it's important. He said, it looks like trees. Now I see that it's people. And here's what Jesus is saying. How you see other people is important to Jesus. How you see others is important to Jesus. You know, Jesus sometimes ought to say to us, you're getting a little too puffy. You're swelling up a little bit too much. It's not the grits and gravy either. May I remind you that only by my grace do you have a seat at the table. And may I remind you if you don't straighten up, I'm going to make you stand up and give your seat to someone else. You see, it's important to understand the stories of these miracles. Jesus healed the blind man in three different ways. Number one, your life gets focused when you see clearly with Jesus. When we sing, he's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Didn't you play that on your Facebook video the other day? He's all I need. Sometimes in your weak moment, sometimes in your moment of quiet, and sometimes when you think you've had enough. And sometimes when you've missed deadlines and everything else, you can remember one thing. He's all you need. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's all you need. You will have a clear focus.
Number two, your perspective gets larger. You see, his sight was completely restored. He had full vision. I know what it is to have clear vision. I've had cloudy vision before in the five torn and detached retinas that I've had. You get cloudy vision. But I know what it means when that gas bubble finally goes and that vision clears up and to be able to see. You know what that means? Jesus is teaching the disciple and you Pharisees, you know a lot about Scripture. You, you memorize the Pentateuch. And I have friends who can quote the Scripture and all this, that, and the other, but they're still blind because they've never opened their heart up to the reality of who God is. It means that I surrender my will to him because he's all I need. He's all I need. Your vision gets clear. You know what Job said? Job said after all that Job went through, Job 34, 32, Lord, teach me what I cannot see. If I've done wrong, I won't do it again. If you teach me what I cannot see and what I've done wrong, I won't do it again. In this room right now, there's a healing power, there's conviction over the airwaves in your home, friend. Those of you that are watching online, God wants to do something extremely special in your heart. But I want to encourage you several things, lest we forget. And they are as follows. Lean not to your own understanding, but lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have the heart of the blind man, that though you may not understand how life is taking you in a particular direction or the path that you're having to walk, just know that Jesus has promised to be with you. And that when, even if he happens to spit in your eye, you think, as someone would say, I've been shafted. You still say, but I know this. God has some reason. And God, if you want me to run around 10 more times, knowing what I know now, I would do it with a whole lot more vim and vigor. And I pray that in your heart before you leave this room today, that you'll say there's somebody I need to intercede for because they can't make it on their own. They're exhausted. They're weary. They're tired. And they've lost their way, some of them. But you can intercede and bring them on track. And then you can do what Job said. God, if you give me clear vision and I see what I'm doing wrong, I won't do it again. Would you stand with me? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Can you do that with me? Here we go. Let's do it really well. Father God, I thank you this morning for the abundance of your grace. I thank you for your mercy. 
For those of you that are listening online and watching, I pray you'll be still for a few minutes. As we are here in the sanctuary, and I'm going to ask all of you, whether you can pray it out loud at home or say it in your heart there, maybe. But here we can pray it out loud because we're together as a congregation encouraging one another. I want to ask you to repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Here we go together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. I've made mistakes. I've erred. I have behaved like a sinner. And I should behave like a saint. So today, I'm asking you right now, because Lord Jesus, you have interceded for me. So I have the privilege to bow my heart to my Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for having grace on me. Thank you for giving me our kids. Thank you for keeping your hand on them. God, I pray that you'll receive me fresh and new, and that today my sight spiritually will be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Listen carefully. People need to get back in church. I thank you for being here. We're doing everything that we can and the distance and the mask and all of that. But I want you to encourage to intercede for some who are having a real problem with COVID-19, not that they're sick, but there's a fear there. I'm asking you to intercede for them. I'm asking you today to leave here with a mindset, God, you've been good to me. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to send some testimonies, maybe small. You don't have to take three or four pages, but just here's a half a page. This is what God did. This is how it happened. And send it in. Because you see, this book that we love is an Old Testament and a New Testament. And we like reading about it. Send yours in, and we're going to share it. We want to use your name so that others can have the privilege of knowing that God did something for you, and he can do it for them too. Amen. We're going to worship one more little bit, then let you go. I love you, everybody. Don't you ever forget it. If you don't know where your car is at, just ask the person next to you, okay? Come on, every voice this morning. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive.